American Christianity and the Constitution. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. One of the reasons America has been so blessed is because we had had leaders who were very intentional. We had pastors. We had right all different kinds of presidents. You pick people who understood the significance of saying, no, we believe there is a God and we should do things God's way. The father of our constitution, he famously said this, and one of the most pithy things ever said about government, he said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. Now, why do you need government? What's the implication? You need government because people are evil. And you need to protect innocent people from evil. But we still have to, we still have to obey the authorities until we can. You know, there's, there's a certain time when we can, when it, when it goes against the word of God. You get the government that you want, that you vote for. And the Constitution says it should never be infringed, never under no circumstances. If the people don't understand the functions, roles, and limits of each of these governments, and especially when it comes to civil government, then they cannot see when something wrong is being done. They cannot see when tyranny is taking place. All right, so this is uh, Pastor Jason, Christian Life Church. I am here with Ray Campbell, Adam Hatfield. All right, so we're going to be talking specifically about the First Amendment for a little while here, and we're just going to start right off with reading the First Amendment and talking about its original intent, which is the way we should try to understand all this. So it says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And I know that the rest of these are all tied into that, and, and we'll get to that. Let's just start um, with the religious liberty end of things, and obviously all of these are tied together, but um, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. What is meant by that? Well, I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, ultimately, it's the, the government is not going to interject itself into how you conduct your spiritual life. Hmm. It's not going to mandate a state religion. Well, federal religion anyway, federal government we're talking about, um, and it's it's not going to force you to or force you to not do something in regards to your spiritual choices. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say too, it's important to remember the first freedom is religious freedom. Mm. Without religious freedom, there are no other freedoms. Correct. You know, and let me give you a current example of that. Riots. Right. What they want, they are not going to get by violence. Mm. They're only going to breed more violence. Mm. Whether that's police force or National Guard, violence breeds violence. You want true peace, the gospel has to be prevalent. Mm. I preached about this last night. <laughs> And a ser I'm doing a series in First John okay. on Sunday nights right now, so that's one of the things that I talked about. Yeah, you no, know, no, for sure. So the problem in England was the church had such a tight tie to the crown. You know, they they say in some songs, another marriage of the cross and crown. 
And that's exactly what happened. They were depending on each other's powers to control the people, and our founders did not want that here. So one of the awesome things about the First Amendment is we're not all going to have to be Catholic. We're not all going to have to be Lutherans. We're not all going to, not just picking on particular people, but the state, like you said, they, they cannot implement a state religion. You know, so all these people that are worried that eventually there's going to be a caliphate or eventually, you know, Sharia law is going to be put in place. The First Amendment protects us from that. Totally. There cannot be a, a one rule, one rule church in our state. It just can't happen. So with that, we have a lot of other issues that come up. So people misinterpret this all the time. So what are some of the misinterpretations of this or misunderstandings you guys have seen? Uh, maybe in recent days or, or maybe a little earlier than that? Well, the first thing that everybody jumps to is the separation of church and state. Mm. And that has nothing to do with the Constitution. Mm. That Nowhere does it say that the church will have no influence or part in the state. It's the state will have no influence or part in the church. Which where that comes from, it comes from is a letter, not a law. Right. Mm. It comes from a letter from, to, from Thomas Jefferson to Baptist, again. <laughs> there we go. Danbury, Connecticut, where they were concerned that there was going to be a push for a state church like there was in England. And Thomas Jefferson sends them this letter reassuring them that's not what's happening. There is a, and the phrase is actually a wall of separation, referring to government and the church. And you're right. It's not that the church cannot, or churches would probably better within constitutional framework to say. The churches can't have influence on the government. What it means is the government's going to stay out of the church. Mm. That's the issue with the separation clause. But today it has become this thing of, well, what happened to separation of church and state? Mm. You're not supposed to have any... You don't know what you're talking about. Mm. (laughs) That's that's the route you're going to go. One of the things we've done to mess this up is... We've blurred the lines because we have churches that are allowing government programs to be dispersed through their building. So we have people that actually are selling coffee, you know, cups of coffee from within their church. And we know we're not supposed to be doing that. We know that we don't want to have any part in that. But we have people that are doing that and it, we went and messed everything up. So we go and invite all these programs in because originally, the church took care of people's needs. Right. You know, we didn't push it off to other people. Today, we're like, well, did you go and check for food stamps first? Yeah. You know, did you go and make sure that you weren't eligible for all these other programs? Did you check with the God of government first? Yeah, there you go. Did you check? Yeah, so... There's authorities, multiple. You talked about it in your podcast. You, know, you have family, you've got... Starting with individual you know, self-government, family, church, and civil mm. and there, there there should be nearly no overlap mm. and for the the civil to interfere into the church government is a problem and that, that's like you're saying you don't see that in the bible mm. or when you do see it it's condemned mm. uh, i think of paul under emperor nero who had declared himself to be god and that he was in turn to be worshiped and Obviously, that's something that a Christian was forbidden to do. And a Jew was forbidden for as far as that goes. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Mm. So, you know, 
I, don't you love it when somebody throws Romans 13 in your face? <laughs> yeah, again and again. <laughs> they think they're throwing a you know a fastball over 100 mile an hour out over the plate. And they're going to strike me out. I'm thinking, no, you actually just threw me a softball pitch <laughs> and didn't realize it. Yeah. Because obviously there were things. That was one of the big things where government said, Emperor, you know, Caesar is to be worshipped. Mm. But God said, no, I alone am to be worshipped. So that was in it. Well, I mean, you're going to tell me that in Romans 13, Paul meant that Christians had to submit to a crazy Caesar mm, that right, taught, right. fancied himself as a God to be worshipped, and God was somehow okay with that? No. Obviously, there are instances through Scripture where it is right to not do what government told you to do. Mm. In, in regards to that, Paul, knowing who his authority was and that there was a civil authority in place that he did not obey when it contradicted God, yes. but he used that civil authority. And I think that's what we're, we're missing today in the church mm. is we, we have an authority in the Constitution. That is our authority. Our authority is not... President Trump, it's not Governor Wolf, it's, Wolf, it's not Governor Cuomo. Our authority is the Constitution, and if we don't recognize that as the church, we're, we're gonna, we're, we're missing a huge opportunity to spread the gospel. Mm. Because how did the gospel get to Rome? Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. He knew yes. who the authorities were, and he made use of it. Mm. He could have stayed in Jerusalem, or in the Palestine at least, and not been condemned to death mm. by going to see Caesar. He could have kept his life, but he chose to appeal to Caesar and go to Rome. That that was his ultimate calling. God said, you are going to spread my gospel to the, the Gentiles. And that, that's how it got to Rome. So if God hadn't used Paul in that way, we wouldn't have the world we have today, which, you know, the, the Western civilization we have today, founded on, you know, in large part by Christianity. So if we don't take that authority that we have in the Constitution that God put there, and we've looked at that, that it is based on a godly group of people, if we don't look to that authority and stick to it and submit to that authority, and that authority says some things, to recommit to the ideals and dreams for which our country was founded. Let's dedicate ourselves today to a renewal of faith in God. Let's dedicate ourselves to building rather than burning. The First Amendment was not written to protect people and their laws from religious values. It was written to protect those values from government tyranny.